Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with myself, your host, Alex Connor, where we talk about everything, training, nutrition, and lifestyle collectively. And it's another week, and it's another beautiful day here on the GC. That's the Gold Coast of Australia. It's blue skies. The sun is shining. It's hard. It's hard to live here. It's terrible. It's absolutely disgusting. Now, <laughs> as you can imagine, um, it is beautiful weather and it's summer all year round, uh, pretty much, especially for myself, uh, who originates from the UK. However, been away a long time and acclimatized now to much warmer weather. And you get a bit of a snob after a while. You sort of, you expect it to be warm and, and beautiful all the time. So we're very fortunate here uh, in the Gold Coast, although it's funny because sometimes the grass isn't always greener because if it's hot, people complain, and if it's cold, people complain. So it's all about that uh, that framing and mindset at the end of the day, I think. However, I'm back with another guest this week, and a couple of weeks ago, some of you may have noticed on social, who keep an eye on it, that I spent some time with Nick Jones from Gentech Nutrition. He's the founder, he's the owner, he's the main man, if you like. And we did some filming down at one of my favorite gyms, Hold Your Own, my home from home, if you like, where we were creating some content along with Nutrition Warehouse uh, and myself and, and Nick with his brand Gentech. And we were trying to educate and put out better valuable content, which is in essence of people who were short on time to try and help them train smarter, more intelligently, more efficiently, not only just in the gym, but out of the gym as well. And then we go on to do some more nutrition-based recipes. So keep an eye out for that because that will be coming along fairly soon. And to be quite honest, I think a lot of you are going to benefit from it because in this fast-paced world we now find ourselves in, where people are consistently trying to take shortcuts, it definitely helps if you can work a little bit smarter it's not about taking shortcuts, but it's about finding more effective means to be able to get things done, especially if you are a busy professional or you've got a family or you do have time limitations at this stage in your life. So keep an eye out for that coming very soon. Secondarily, the masterclasses. We have the new series starting soon with myself and Chef Ash. We've partnered up with Icon Kitchens, that's where Ash is based, that's Ashley Galloway, she's one of the very talented chefs there, and I reached out to Peter, one of the owners, uh, a couple of months ago, and I really wanted to provide some more valuable content for clients and, and people around my local area, which is in Rabina, and my gym where I train out of, which is EMF, that's Elite Military Fitness in Rabina, which is probably one of the best, if not the best, in my opinion, commercial gyms in Australia at present and growing very rapidly. Yes, I'm biased, but I did choose that location for a reason and uh, it does tick a lot of boxes. It's clean cut, it's professional, the service is fantastic and the equipment is just unparalleled. So keep an eye off that one. If you've not got your ticket, they are on sale now you can grab them i put the link in the description box below this one is based around quick easy and tasty meal and snack ideas that you can use with again limited time no skill 
really low um, effort on your part and also they're very economical as well they're cheap they're easy they're fast effective they're all that good stuff that you want right um, but they're all macroed out they're all caloried out and we're going to be in the kitchen there'll be live tasting you're going to get to take food home and um, then we're going to open it up to the floor of the Q&A because I want to help the people. So you'll have me, myself, professional chef, Ash, nutritionist, etc. And we'll be able to go in and, and really help you out there with your nutrition so that you can walk away with some answers and some uh, remedies, if you like, as well as some really tasty food. And that's just the start of uh, a new series of masterclasses because the next one will be in the kitchen. It's two hours. It's immersive. It's fully hands-on. You will be cooking. You will be eating and you will be enjoying and you'll be walking away with better knowledge. And the reason why I'm doing this is because after years of coaching people, this is where it always falls down. It's the nutrition it's the nutrition, it's the nutrition. Because you can do as much work as you want in the gym, but if you're not getting it right on the nutrition front, it's just not going to work. And then don't get me started on sleep. However, as we're on the topic of nutrition, my guest this week, Nick Jones, knows about nutrition. So for those of you who don't know about Nick, he founded the company Gentech Nutrition in 1999, and he's devoted 33 years of his life to nutrition, health, and the art of bodybuilding. Okay, so first and foremost, Nick Jones is a body recomposition specialist whose goal is always to improve the quality of life and enhance performance through superior nutrition, exercise, and specific supplementation. That of which we go into in this podcast, it was definitely good to understand and get more specific definitions from Nick himself on how the supplements are produced, how to rectify, how to put together a higher quality supplement for the market. And Nick's dedication to bodybuilding has paid dividends as well throughout the past 28 years as he's been justified by his achievements through local and national and also international platforms. So those of you in the bodybuilding world will be very aware of Nick. His achievements include Mr. World, Mr. Australia, Mr. Australasia, and first runner-up in the prestigious Mr. Universe competition. So he's a bodybuilder, he's a dad, he's a business owner, he's a great guy, I must admit, on a very sincere note, I really enjoyed my time with Nick, we had an amazing laugh, we were just always cracking jokes, uh, there was never a dull moment, we shared a lot of ideas, I learned a lot from him, um, being someone who has a bit more experience on this planet than me, and I always try and take that experience, so yeah, it was a really enjoyable time, and no doubt there'll be a round two. So guys, listen in with this one, I'm sure you're going to get some golden nuggets out of it. And as always, I will be speaking to you very soon. So enjoy this conversation between myself and world champion bodybuilder, Nick Jones. Nick, welcome to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast, my Thank friend. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's great to be here. Right, we appreciate your time. Appreciate your my time. My pleasure. All right, let's start off as we always do. Talk us through who you are, what you do, a little bit about yourself, your background, whatever you want to share. Oh. Give us a bit of a, an insight into who Nick Jones is. Well, these days, these days, right now, who am I? I've evolved into a father of three. I have uh, two beautiful daughters, eight years old, six and a half, and my baby boy just turned three. So I'm a dad, um, I'm a business owner. I founded Gentec Nutrition, sports supplement company, nearly 20 years ago. It's gone quick, time flies. It does. 
I uh, am a, I'm not a retired bodybuilder. I never say I'm a ri- retired bodybuilder. I'm a former world champion mm-hmm. across a couple of federations, both NABBA, I won the world championships in New Zealand in 2000 down in Christchurch. I won class four and I won the Muscle Mania overall world championships as a natural bodybuilder in 2006 in Universal Studios in LA. So I hadn't competed for 10 years and I made a comeback at the start of this year after 10 years. So I can't say that I'm a a former Mr. Australasia because I'm a current Mr. Australasia Mm. with the IFBB. I won that title and got awarded a pro card back in March of this year being 2019, so I'm not a retired bodybuilder, I'm still an avid bodybuilder. I'm a martial artist, I love Arakan martial art. So I guess I'm a lot of things these days and, and it's, a, it's a daily juggle to maintain all of those things, but I'm passionate, I've got to say, about all of them. I'm passionate about my business, very passionate about my family. Mm. Um, I've got to say, I'm a loving husband as well. That's a role that you can't underestimate for any blokes out there, you know, you, you've still got to put time into your, your relationship which is very easy to, um, to lose sight of that because we're so busy with work, with, with the children, um, and then with getting that bit of personal time. So getting my training done, my weight training, my Arakan martial arts. So it's a pretty full lifestyle. That's who I am these days. Where I came from is a very different story. I was born in the UK. We moved to Adelaide when I was just a baby at 18 months old. Whereabouts in the UK? Uh, I'm an Essex boy, Alex. It might explain a bit about my teenage years and my early 20s because it's in me without spending any time in Essex. What I've heard about it, I'm definitely an Essex boy, mate. So uh, it's in me. You can take the man out of Essex, but you can't take the Essex out of the There you go, that's right, mate. I've still got that wild streak, which is probably why I like doing martial arts and, and, um, you know, punching each other in the face and edging each other in the throat on cold winter's nights in Sydney in a car park, so. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm selling (laughs) selling it to you, aren't I? Yeah. Mate, you'll love it. You'll love it. Um, So, yeah, but I grew, up, I grew up in Adelaide, South Australia, uh, and that's where the majority of my bodybuilding was done. Um, it's a long story to, to that. You know, I, my, my folks split when I was young. I was only six. Affected me as it does with all children. And I guess back then, it wasn't so common, Alex, you know? So I was one of the few kids that would turn up at sports day with, you know, just my mum and my dad was never there. So it was probably, uh, it did affect me. So I ended up having to do a lot of personal work because of that. But again, it served me, served me extraordinarily well. I grew up younger um, through a lot of hardship, a lot of trouble. I was in trouble with the law quite a lot in my teenage years. Uh, And bodybuilding saved me from that, really. And, and you know, we lived in Housing Commission as well in Adelaide. So, you know, there wasn't... um, wasn't much money there, there, you know, and mum, being a single mum, you know, she had to hustle and, 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 and work full time, as well as try and raise myself and my brother, who's 18 months older than me. So, um, yeah, and we had no family around because we we're from the UK. Mum and dad left the UK, no family followed them. So we had a, a, um, a very, I think it's different now, it was normal to me. I think it's different now because my wife Angela's Greek mm. and my in-laws uh, are still together, Arthur and Maria, my mother and father-in-law. And they're just the best people. They, uh, you know, they would take a bullet for my kids. They, they are so family oriented or orientated um, that it's just beautiful. And to see a family unit together like that, it's, it's, it's really nice. And it's what I aspire to have. I aspire to uh, work on my marriage, keep my family together because I know what it's like to have a family split up. I know what it's like to come from a broken home and I don't want that for my children. So. Yeah, I guess I've been inspired in many, many, many ways through um, positives and negatives, and it's all shaped me to who I am today and shaped my philosophies and, 
and um, has given me a life which is, has been and is extraordinarily, extraordinarily rich in so many ways. The good, the bad, the ugly, the depression, the chronic fatigue, the, the highlights of world championships and everything in between, you know. So I, I, I liken it to um, climbing to the top of Everest and by all means, I'm not at the top of Everest yet, but it's pretty easy to stay in the valley. You know what the weather's gonna be like all the time. It's pretty safe and you know your surroundings and you're prepared for it, but you don't really grow and evolve that much. If you wanna to go to the top, metaphorically, you're going to have all sorts of different weather conditions along the way. You, you, you know, you're going to have different terrain along the way and it's gonna be very challenging. And you're gonna have some hard times and you're gonna have some celebrations and some victories and some defeats and some victories and some confusing times and some lessons. So it's, uh, and you know, there's so many cliches that ring true uh, which comes to mind when I talk about that. And it's, it's about the journey. Yeah, it's, it's always about the journey. It's not about the destination. Um, it's always about the journey. That's where the richness is. Uh, whether it's hard at that time, whether it's struggle, whether it seems good or bad, that's where, that's where the juice of life is. It's in the journey. So I'm very mindful and aware of that on a daily basis, um, which helps a hell of a lot. Uh, I think because of that, there's a certain detachment. Without being unemotional, I'm certainly not cold or unemotional, I'm quite the opposite. Um, but there's a certain amount of detachment um, that I'm able to use and, and um, it helps to give me perspective. Sometimes it gets very faded though, fuzzy though. You know, I'm not, I'm not onto it and have that all, all the time. You know, I, I, like anyone else, I struggle with different emotional um, situations and, and um, stressful situations, whether it's business, whether it's family. So it's, um, but I know the juice is, is right now, in the present moment, uh, even as we sit here, the present, my friend, is a gift. That's why it's called a present. Um, and again, they're cliches, and I don't want to sound cliche uh, or that I'm reading stuff out of a book um, because I'm certainly not on the sidelines reading this stuff in a book. I'm in there having a crack. I'm the man in the arena. Another cliche, I'm that guy. Uh, and I take, uh, um, I take pride in that, in being in the, in the arena. And, and, and at the same time, I, I keep my ears open and my eyes open and ask a lot of questions and I'm as aware as I can possibly be. Um, so yeah, that, that's, a, that's a bit about me, my friend. That's a bit about me. Mm. A man with many hats. Yes. And an interesting journey with a multitude of experiences. Yes. And you mentioned some great points many great points we'll start to unpack a few of those sure I like firstly I just want to touch base on something that fascinates me Nick is speaking to a lot of uh, people that have a passion for health and fitness but mm. also the way it relates to their lifestyle yes and I think this is a, a subject I always bring up or I bring up this part because I think it needs to be talked about a little bit more sure like for example one of the first things you mentioned and you can tell you're very passionate about it is your family yes and your role as a husband and I know for a lot of young lifters out there, it's not something that they're all aware of at this stage because mm. they might not have relationships, they mm. might not have kids, they might not have those responsibilities. Uh, some of them do. Uh, and I think it's important to acknowledge. And it's nice to hear that someone who can still pursue and compete at such a high level mm. can still maintain that balance. And I think being able to go in and perhaps explore these methods, your your wins, the learnings, a little bit more can help people grasp 
sure. more gratitude, better concepts that sure. they can start to apply now at a younger age. Yes. For example, someone like myself who's still single, still has relatively you know a, a low responsibility, mm. but be able to sort of take some of those teachings and put them into practice. And perhaps when that time comes, when I do have a family and I meet my wife, etc be a little better prepared to be mm. able to maintain that balance mm. and not jeopardize those relationships because as you said so rightly a lot of people are now coming from broken homes because i think yes. they're getting hooked up too soon they're getting themselves a, you know a bit too far a bit too deep and they're not really living in the present moment sure but to digress and to springboard into where i'd like to start unpacking some of those experiences and, mm. and the the learnings is the transition, Nick, when you were younger from those years where you were, as you put it, in trouble with the law, mm -hmm. and then that transition into bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. and, and if we can, can you talk us about how bodybuilding saved you, what it was, the disciplines, the experiences, mm -hmm. that sort of changed that mindset and, and those habits and those behaviors? Mm, sure, great question. I started weight training when I was 15. Well, actually, to be honest, I started training when I was about 10 with my brother. We, we used a broomstick uh, with some house bricks and would slide the house bricks onto the end of the broomstick and do some curls and overhead presses. That's ingenuity right there. Yeah, right, so there you go. So that, that's passion right there. That's passion, that's in you, you know that. I was about 10, so my brother would have been 11 and a half, I guess, 12. Um, I then got a, a weight set for my 15th birthday. I trained in my room every night and I was really inspired at the time by the movies and, and the, the, the action stars in the movies were Stallone. You know, he was in First Blood, it was the first Rambo. I'd, I'd watched Rocky III at the movies when I was about 10, so that impacted me. Arnold had just done, when I was 15, he'd just done Commando. Uh, and I think Kickboxer with Van Damme wasn't far off either, so I was very inspired by the look of those guys. Again, the superheroes, the He-Man cartoons, always affected me and, and stayed with me, so I'd always like the look of, uh, ever since I can remember, that powerful muscular physique. So that, that it was just in me, it was something in my psyche, and I don't know if it's in every male psyche or not, but it was certainly in mine. So at 15 I started training. Three months, two months after my got my weight set, I joined the, my first gym, I think it was in the January. So my, my birthday's November 20. So I was only probably training in my room for maybe six weeks and got bored of the dumbbells and the barbell, wanted to, to um, experience more and learn more about weight training. So I was 15, joined the gym, you know, and to be honest, wasn't long after that, that's where the trouble started, you know, with um, the alcohol and the violence and, and wasn't long after that. So to say bodybuilding saved me, it was the competition that showed me the discipline. But the thing I loved about the weight training, even before the trouble started, um, the weight training, I guess it was hormones and puberty and all of that, but the, the, the weight training gave me something that I could see a tangible reaction to effort that I was putting in. Even when I was training and seeing my muscles swell up a bit, I was seeing a physical change um, occurring from something that I was doing. So it was very empowering from that aspect. I remember it gave me, that was the first thing it gave me. Um, and, and, and I loved that about it, that I was in control, I was the one that created a result. Because probably before then, you, you, you're sort of not really in control and your power was taken away from you somewhat, you know, by all of the authorities, mm -hmm. um, being school, school teachers, um, 
So it was the first time I really felt empowered, I guess was when I weight trained. Fast forward from 15 to 19, a lot of troubled years, a lot of violence, um, assault charges, court, um, alcohol, you know, being in, in housing commission and growing up in that environment, you know, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol and violence and just, it was just part of life, mm. really. Um, nothing I was ever comfortable with, but I had a lot of anger inside of me as well due to my upbringing, due, coming from a broken home. And you don't really understand that until you do the work. Um, so I guess when I would drink alcohol, it was like squeezing an orange, the juice, what's inside comes out. So drinking alcohol, I'd be out at parties and I'd end up drinking alcohol and fighting because this anger would start to come out. Um, so, you know, it wasn't until I was 19 and prepared for my first bodybuilding contest and I was ready for it then because it was really, it became really, I remember being out at a nightclub one night having almost an out of body experience. And it was when I was working in the oil field, two weeks on, two weeks off in the middle of Australia. I got that job when I was 17. My girlfriend's father at the time was a boss there and I'm sure he just wanted to get me away from his daughter. So he gave me a job in the middle of Australia, <laughs> in the middle of the desert, That's right? So it was a good tactic, it works, right? It worked, um, he's a smart guy. He's a good guy, he's a good man actually. And uh, so being the fact that I was in the middle of the desert for two weeks out of every four, um, it gave me that physical detachment from my physical reality in the city in Adelaide. So when I'd go back there and catch up with my mates and we'd go out and get drunk on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night at the nightclub, I remember one night being in the nightclub just, just questioning the whole thing, going, what's this all about? All of these people work all week doing what they hate and then spending all their money getting out of it three nights a week spending all of their money for like this is this is not right it just i just i remember it was lenny's tavern at glenelg i had this almost out-of-body experience um and it wasn't long after that that my brother had started training in a bodybuilding gym i was in a fitness gym he started training in a bodybuilding gym in adelaide called woodlands and um with with a, a another one of the bakers he was a baker's apprentice so one of the bakers uh, was an ex-bodybuilder and took him to the gym and showed him a bodybuilding program sure enough i joined my brother absolutely fell in love with it. And there was all these big guys in the gym. And I'm like, wow, men like this exist. Look at the size of these guys. This is, it was amazing. And, and I soon realized, oh, I think I could look like this as well. How awesome. So I started doing the bodybuilding routines, overtrained chronically a number of times until one of the guys was getting ready for a bodybuilding contest. And he approached me and he said, um, how old are you? And I said, I'm, uh, I'm 18. And he goes, you know, I reckon you could compete. So I'm, he goes, I'm competing on the weekend. And I said, yeah, I know the contest is coming up. And he goes, are you coming? And I said, oh, yeah, I, re I really want to come. And he goes, when you come, I want you to come backstage, come and find me, I'll take you backstage, and you can see the other teenage competitors close up. Because when you see them on stage with the tan and the oil under the lights, they look bigger than life. But you need to see them close up to see what their physiques really look like. Because he goes, I reckon you can do this stuff. I said, okay. So I was so keen, I went to the contest early, I found him. His name was Kim Schultz, God bless him, he passed away, Kim. Um, so Kim Schultz took me backstage and I had a look at these teenagers. And there was about four of them backstage. One of them was really good, a young Greek boy, Jimmy Kabos. Uh, Jimmy, was, he was very, very good. However, the others, uh, they, were, they, were, they were all pretty good, but 
Kim said, do you reckon you can do this? And I said, yeah, oh, I can hang with these guys. I'm bullshitting, you know, yeah, I can do this. I can, yeah. oh, I can hang with these guys. Bit of bravado. Yeah, there's a bit, bit of bravado there because it was, it was still in me. I was 18 and um, nearly 19. And, and sure enough, I saw the guys walk out on stage. They looked three times the size of what they looked backstage. And I went, wow, imagine what it would be like being up there. Wow, can you imagine that? And so sure enough, that was the SA in, in the October. I competed in the Mr. Adelaide the following March. So it was the NABBA, it was called SABBA back then, was the NABBA Teenage Mr. Adelaide, six months later. So preparing for that, I had all the disciplines of the cardio, the diet, which I learnt myself and I wasn't very good at it, um, and, and the training. So I trained myself, dieted myself. And the funny thing was, I used to really get off on doing cardio on a Saturday night on my push bike and riding past Lenny's Tavern and seeing all the drunk people come out at 11 and 12 o'clock at night, I'd be out doing cardio. Because I read many years ago about, I can't remember which boxer it was. Don't think it was Tyson, that might've been Tyson then. It was probably Mike Tyson. And he used to get up and run at three or four in the morning because he knew his opponents weren't doing it. And it gave him an edge to be doing the work when the others were sleeping. And that's what I thought when I'd be doing, riding my bike for cardio at 11, 12 o'clock on a Saturday night pre-contest. I was doing the work while everyone else was out getting pissed. So it was very, very empowering and the discipline was very good for me. And I found a sport that I loved. There you go. Mm. It's, it's great that you can remember so many of those people that impacted mm. that journey. And you I don't think about this stuff vividly. until- it just, it just comes out. It yeah. comes out when you, you prompt me and prod me, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad it was, I think you said it was, it was a pivotal moment. It was like a bit of a, it was a chapter, as I like to refer. Very much so. That you can look back on and recall, and you went through this sort of evolution. As transformational, it yeah. Correct. It was a transformational chapter. So now let's jump forward in time a little bit more. And if you want, we can delve into more of the competitions, perhaps, you know, that first experience on the stage and mm -hmm. then that, how that led to an even deeper passion, you know, with the physique sports and then how you came to found Gentech mm. Nutrition and how that became, you know, how did you conceive of mm -hmm. Gentech Nutrition? Mm. What was its conception, if you like? Sure, sure, sure. So you want to know about Gentech now? Yeah, well, now, but, but if you want, we can touch more though on your bodybuilding, like, because I imagine there was a lot more after you jumped on stage that first time. There's a lot of chapters. Led. Alex, when you talk about chapters, I'm thinking, well, I'm 48 now, and we're talking, I was 18, 19, 19 in my first contest. Volume so, one. 30 years ago, 30 years ago. So we could be here all day talking if I go through all the chapters, but, but something that I think- Any, Anything, I guess, pivotal within yes, that era, if not. very much so, very much so. Something that came up and, and uh, I'd like to talk about was that the bodybuilding for me, and you mentioned him earlier today, we, we did some recipes for Nutrition Warehouse Correct. in the kitchen, we did the breakfast shake and you were talking about Frank Zane. So um, Frank Zane influenced me as a bodybuilder, um, but also influenced me in, in more ways because Frank Zane, he impacted me because he was an extreme physical specimen, right? He's Mr. Olympia three years running mm -hmm. in the late 70s. So he was a, an extreme physical specimen. Um, but he also had a degree in experimental psychology. So he was an extreme intellectual. Correct. And then when I read more about him, he was into Zen Buddhism. So he's a very spiritual man as well. And I thought, wow, how, 
It's amazing to be able to look like that. It's very holistic. Right, it's holistic, which is a word that's thrown around a lot, but that's the true, he is very holistic. He was ticking all the boxes. Exactly, and, and it wasn't long after that. And I, it, so the bodybuilding, the physical look of bodybuilding, that was, it was not short-lived, that was always still a pursuit to become the best physical specimen I could and try and win a Mr. Universe. Um, but then it went a little bit deeper into the psychology when you would, you would have to start to G yourself up to squat. When I was a teenager, I was probably only squatting three plates, 140, but back then it was, I used to squat 180 actually. I used to squat four plates back in my late teens. Um, it was something I fell in love with was squatting and training legs hard because they were a weak, weak body part. And I'd see some of the guys in the gym squatting four, squatting five plates, squatting six plates with good form three reps on six plates and I was like whoa even three or four reps on five plates ass to grass it really impressed me so you know but the psychology required to get under those sorts of weights you'd start to work out and become aware of your own thoughts and the psychology behind the training mm. and then it would go a little bit deeper into the spirituality so I, I started reading about metaphysics so which is really quantum physics without the science so I was reading um, a lot of uh, books on metaphysics back then. Oh, that's quite Be interesting. Yeah, because again, to be honest, it was, it was, um, was it after my first contest? Uh, I think it was after my first contest that I went to court for my fourth assault charge. So again, because it, it had been that period of time that I dieted and competed, before I'd started dieting, I'd whacked a guy at a club one night and put me up on assault. So I was facing those charges after I'd made this a great transformation. So again, I remember speaking to my lawyer at the time and saying, oh, look, I've, I've changed. I don't fight anymore. And, and I, I, uh, I meditate now and, uh, you know, because he said to me, he goes, I want you to pay me before we go into court, because if you go inside, you're not going to pay me. And I thought, I can't believe this is actually, he's serious. I could go to jail. I'm a fresh faced 18, 19 year old with a good little physique. Can you imagine? I don't think I'd be sitting here right now no. with a bodybuilding career if that had happened. Yeah. So luckily, I'd got a suspended sentence, but the judge really, um, he wound me up. He, he, he sentenced me to 12 months imprisonment. I was standing in the box and I nearly passed out and he paused. And he said, but I'll suspend it for a period of 18 months on good behavior. I'm like, oh my God, I got let off. So I got let off from, from doing 12 months. But had I got in trouble again in the next 18 months, I would have gone straight inside. But you know, when I told my lawyer, I said, look, I've started meditating. I don't fight anymore. I can't go to prison. And he goes, oh, it's all right. You get lots of time to meditate in jail. So I think he was putting the shits up me too, because I wasn't a bad kid. I always had a good heart. Yeah. It was just that I had a lot of anger inside of me and I was a bit wild. I'm an Essex boy and I was learning the ropes the hard way. So, so from that point on, I don't think I've ever had a fight since. And I used to be bluing all the time. Um, and, uh, and, and really the, the metaphysics, the, the teachings, because I wasn't exposed to religion, thank goodness, because I would never have got the teachings, I would have been too young to understand the teachings anyway. Mm -hmm. So the metaphysics gave me a lot of teachings about universal law and how the world works and the power of thought and all these sorts of things. So it, it again, it enriched my life in many ways and it really did stem from bodybuilding and it stemmed from Frank Zane. I read an article by Frank Zane on meditations. It was the first time I meditated was due to an article in a muscle magazine. So again, bodybuilding, when bodybuilding started, it was about health and strength. And, and I still think bodybuilding, your bodybuilding lifestyle should improve your life. 
If you're doing bodybuilding in a way that is restricting you, uh, it's no good. Bodybuilding should improve your life. And this is one of the many ways in which it did improve and enrich my life. Mm. Hence the term bodybuilding. Bodybuilding, it's about building. Building the building. body. Yeah. Yeah. And, and health think, and strength. And it's not just physical health and strength. Well, no, it's, it's this health is the thing, strength. it's the mental, right? It's not just building the body, it's building the mind, the spirituality, the soul. It's exactly. tapping into all those avenues because if you just pay attention to the physical, you get very out of balance. Yes. And things get very outweighted. Yes. Which I think we see a lot you know, social media, you see it on the yes. news, on TV, you see it in the gyms. It's a shame, you know, people use their size for authority. They use it in the wrong way to manipulate, to bully people. And it's, mm. it's a bit of a shame. For popularity, for, 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 for their, for their for persona. Their ego and all for, that. With their ego and persona. And, and that, you know, that's, I'm, I'm very thankful that social media wasn't around mm. throughout my, well, I wouldn't have gone, got away with half, I would have done time, I would yeah. say, but, but no, I'm, so, I'm so glad it wasn't around back in my late teens and early 20s and, and throughout the majority of my bodybuilding career mm. wasn't around. And I'm grateful for that. I, 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 my heart goes out to the young people these days with all the social media and the pressures that are created because of it. Mm. Now, thank you for sharing those key points. I think mm. it's good. And Frank saying, incredible. Incredible yes. athlete, yes. incredible human, yes. still going now. And again, yes. one of the first people that was tapping into all those avenues and realized that it wasn't just one dimensional. It was many And he was athletes. teaching it. He was teaching it at the Zane Haven. Oh, yeah. So he was, to, which is, I guess, Frank your... Frank Zane Experience. Yeah, the Frank Zane Experience. Yeah, exactly. The Zane Experience. It was first, it was the Zane Haven. And a couple of guys I know from Melbourne, um, former champion Australian bodybuilders, uh, Don Marnie, who also won a Masters Mr. World, and... Peter McCarthy, who is a bodybuilding champion as well, who started Balance Supplements back in Australia many yeah, years balance. ago. Yeah. yeah, so Peter McCarthy and Don Marnie both went and uh, went to Zane Haven before it was Zane Experience. So I guess I was exposed to Frank Zane back then through Don Marnie. I went to one of his seminars when I was a teenager at that first contest that I went to and Kim Schultz took me backstage. Don Marnie guest posed and did a seminar. And of course I hung around for the seminar and hung on every word and he talked about Frank Zane. And, and training at the Zane Haven. And the philosophies Frank would teach them, he said he went there thinking he was gonna learn about you know, building big biceps, mm. and he learned about the power of the mind and meditation. Biggest thing he took away. He was into, uh, I think, was trans trans transcendental, transcendental meditation, meditation. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. Yes. Yeah, quite a pioneer of his time, Frank. Zane. Very much so, yeah. Let's transition then now to Gentech. Yes. Because uh, I'm sensing we're gonna need a round two. Mm -hmm. Got lots to talk about. Yes. Let's touch base on, again, the conception, how you started Gentech, your passion behind, your inspiration behind the company, the ethos, the ethics. Yes. Talk us through that for, sure. for people who are not aware. Sure. I, I started working in a health food store, in my friend's health food store, because uh, I'd overcome my first bout of chronic fatigue through seeing a naturopath and reflexologist and using herbs and so forth. So I became very passionate about, about herbal medicine um, and supplementation and health. Uh, it was in this time when I was reading about metaphysics, I, I, I was recovering from chronic fatigue syndrome for the first time, which pretty much stemmed from, from glandular fever, from Estevar virus, believe it or not, pretty much stemmed from that. So that's how I got into the health industry. I then moved up to the Gold Coast here when I was 21 uh, with a good mate of mine, or I followed a good mate of mine up here and we, we had a great old time when I was 21 and um, started getting more heavily into my bodybuilding. I, I had already competed. And I started working for the distributor for Masashi in Queensland. So that was the first time I'd done a reps job. And it suited me because I was passionate about the products and supplementation. And I like talking to people. 
So I was driving around all day talking to people about what I loved. And uh, the, the products weren't selling that well. So that would have been back in 93, it would have been. So products are going out of date on shelves. I'm speaking to these retail stores. They didn't know about the products. They didn't understand the amino acids. They didn't understand the formulations and what they did. And I said that to my boss at the time. And I said, people, they just don't understand the products. And I was fascinated by the products, absolutely fascinated by these amino acid formulations. So we're talking back in 93 amino acid powders in certain combinations and formulas. It's like the raw gland amino acids, the ones that tasted like... They were tasted yeah. like, yeah, sort of dried <laughs> off fish. Most of them, they, oh. yeah, they, they, they were not good. They were not like the ones we made yesterday. <laughs> That's right, correct. There's no amino slushies back then, let me tell you. And, and a guy called Tim Horwood started Masashi back in, I think, 83. So Tim Horwood was probably 20 years ahead of the rest of the supplement industry as far as free-form powdered amino acids. It was 20 years ahead. No one was doing them. No one. So I was fascinated about the formulas because they were developed by Dr. Barry Finnan, um, who was a head lecturer in one of the, it was at Monash Uni, I think, or Deakin in, in Victoria. So I was fascinated by the products learnt about them and I would just teach the retailers. As soon as I'd start teaching them and getting them to use them themselves properly, they started selling them. Start to educate them. Yeah, it was all about education. It was all about education and I was fascinated. So I would just read and read and read books on amino acids, uh, book after book after book. Um, I was passionate about it. I was fascinated by it. Yeah, it and came I, naturally. Yeah, it came naturally. And I, you know, I wasn't a great scholar at school, but when I read these books, I understood I understood it, it and I stored it. it, it resonated. I stored it, I understood it, I got it. I, 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 you retain the information I retained, you're about That's it. right, that's right. So, um, so that's where my sports supplementation background began. Um, so after working for the distributor, repping in Queensland for a couple of years, I moved to Adelaide to be the state manager for Masashi. And in 99, I was getting ready for the Naba Mr. Universe. It was my third shot, third shot at the Naba Universe. And I was good enough to win it most years. I, I was looking pretty good and I really thought I was going to win it. And of course, as most dieting bodybuilders get, um, you drop off with your, your work ethic um, or your focus on your work. And I wasn't doing as good a job as normal at work. Um, and I finished up with Masashi. So um, I was about 10 weeks out of the Mr. Universe and I thought, you know what? I'm glad I'm finished. I'm going to prepare for this bodybuilding contest like a full-time bodybuilder. So this is back in... Um, July 99, about July 99. You basically treated it like a full-time job. Then. Yeah, for the October which, which contest. Which very much can be. It very much can be. So the October contest in 99 was my third Mr. Universe. So I started preparing full-time once I gave the reps car back and I'd, I'd saved, I think I'd saved 10 or $12,000. So I thought, got enough money saved as a, as a, as a, a devout bodybuilder, I was gonna spend half my savings on getting ready for the contest and, and think about the rest later after the show. However, I started getting calls from other companies to start repping for them in South Australia or start distributing their products. And I thought, you know what? I don't really want to work for anyone. I've got all the contacts in the industry. I'll start distributing. So I started distributing just in South Australia to the key 10 good retailers there. And it was an easy job. I could work four or five hours a day really effectively. So I spent my 10, I spent $10,000 on stock and it was uh, Design Away from the US and ProLab. So I started distributing those to American products in Adelaide. So I filled my garage full of $10,000 worth of stock, ran around to my top 10 retailers and sold it to them for $12,500 prepaid. Ordered some more, did the same thing. 
That's, that was Gentech Nutrition. It was a distribution company. Started in August 99. That was 20 years ago. I started that. It would have been eight years old. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, <laughs> August 99, I started that. And uh, anyway, I was making a little, I was more investing more money than making money, but I, I did the competition. I got fourth that year, which was a phenomenal result because two guys, two English guys that didn't, didn't even make the top six was such a stacked lineup, maybe the best ever. Class four, Nabi Mr. Universe, maybe. Was so deep, the lineup. Two guys that didn't make the top six were English, Colin Wright and Mike King. Mike King, King had won the universe in 95. He'd come in 10 pound heavier, in shape, didn't make the top six that year. So coming fourth was a real win because those two guys, Colin Wright and Mike King, turned pro with the IFBB about two weeks later at the British. They both won the British. And Colin did the British Grand Prix after the Mr. Olympia, maybe five weeks after we competed at the universe. And I think he got eighth behind Nasser El Sombadi, who's passed away now. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, I think Ronnie Coleman won it that year. So it was a stacked lineup. So I came back from the universe. Uh, I filmed a workout video with Wayne Galash, GMV muscle videos, and um, got stuck back into the distribution business. Uh, in uh, May of 2000, I released my own two products. Um, because it was funny, I didn't want to work for anyone, but once I started distributing, I realized that the main importer or manufacturer, because I was distributing Aussie bodies, in the end, I was distributing about four different brands, I think three Australian and, and the American. Mm. But then my business was controlled by product supply from them. They were still controlling me and controlling my business. I didn't know what quality raw materials they were using in their products. And of course, I was still a competitive bodybuilder trying to win the Mr. Universe. So I wanted to use the best. I wanted to use the best quality amino acids, the best quality creatine monohydrate, the best quality proteins. That's what I wanted to use for my bodybuilding success. Mm. And that's what I knew I could then stand behind and educate on as being the best. So um, I didn't know when I was distributing other products where the raw materials were coming from most of the time and they were also controlling my business. Hence the birth of Gentech uh, nutrition brand, supplement brand. I released my first creatine monohydrate and glutamine in uh, April of 2000 because I took them to the World Championships, April, May of 2000. So I took those two products to the World Championships in Christchurch in June 2000. I was stacking, I was loading them for three days before getting on stage, creatine glutamine, while I was carb loading to get that fullness. Yeah, so, uh, so that was the birth of Gentech. What, that was it. What, how did you, um, what was the inspiration behind the name? Is it, is it, is it Good a, question. Is it a funny story or is it literally you were just like Gentech, genetics? technician, something like that. Yeah, most people Again, think that. Again, this is just, I'm interpreting mm. it. Just no, yeah, most people think that. So I was doing cardio walking, I remember the park I was walking through um, uh, in Highgate in Adelaide, or Myrtle Bank um, in Adelaide. I was doing my morning cardio, getting ready for the universe in 99. And as soon as I finished with Masashi, I never felt sad about it, or really felt that a door had closed. I never felt that, I felt like it was a new beginning for me. That's how I felt straight away. It's a new beginning with greater awareness, which is a genesis. It was, a, it was that point in my life, it was a genesis for me. It was a new beginning with greater awareness. So the gen in Gentech was genesis, stands for genesis. And the tech had a nice ring to it and, and the technology at the time that was coming in on the development of the whey proteins was giving us such better quality proteins, particularly out of Fonterra in New Zealand. 
So uh, yeah, Gen Tech Nutrition, that's where it came from. It's Genesis, it stands for Genesis. There you go. That's what it is. I always find it interesting when you talk to people about the name mm. behind the company and how it came about. It's usually, it's not what you think. No, and it's I not. Mean, Most people think it's genetic. Most people do think it's genetic. Yeah, that's, that's, what they that's think. quite interesting. Genesis, it was a Genesis. Yeah, I'm a little bit deeper than just the muscles, you know, I even was back then. Yeah. Even though I was, oh, I was aspiring to win the Mr. Universe, you know. That was the goal. That was the hard case goal. It was all of my focus. Um, I'd sort of, I, I drifted from the spiritual path a little bit. I was just so focused on the physical. That's mm. all. It took the majority of my focus. Mm. Mm. And we talked a little bit about yesterday, the products and the quality of the mm. products. And you know, you understand the ingredients inside out and back to front, yes. which is great as someone who's you know a business owner, because I believe that's something that's really important. You should know your product mm. inside out and back to front. You should know where it comes from, what goes into it, and the technology behind it, etc. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me about the uh, how you maintain the quality of the ingredients and how it differentiated from a lot of the brands, like mm. you just alluded to there. You know, we talk about products from New Zealand are generally very high quality, yes. um, just the way they're sourced, the way they're produced, etc. Can you touch base on that, some of the ingredients you use, mm-hmm. how you differentiate yourself from a saturated market, because mm-hmm. it is, it seems mm-hmm. like every Tom, Dick and Harry's coming out with a supplement these yes, days. Yes, it does. So w- what is the main difference between high quality supplements um, and substances that you have at Gentech versus mm-hmm. what you're gonna get um, from say American products or, or the, the big name brands and, and in your opinion, how do you sort of maintain that quality control? How do sure. you identify that? Good question. So the philosophy of the company and, and, and my passion has never changed and that has been to build the best products that I can build. First off for me, because still, I'm still an avid bodybuilder. Like I said, I competed again earlier this year after 10 years off, but I still want to use the best quality products that I can use. I want to eat the best quality food. I want to live in a, um, a relatively pollution-free environment by the coast. Uh, I want to live well for as long as possible. So my personal goals have changed in the fact that I don't want to be a Mr. Universe and I don't want to have to be that big uh, to chase that Mr. Universe. It doesn't, you know, that, that's not the passion. The passion is to live really well, to live long, but live really, really well. Yeah. Um, Longevity as well. As yeah, yeah, as well as quality, right? I want the quality. So I'm very big on quality, no matter what it is that I'm consuming, wearing, driving, living, relationships. If it's not quality, it's not worth having. So I'm very, very big on quality. And to me, you know, it just works out that way that that is our point of difference. Gentech is owned by myself. I'm a guy that walks the talk still. I walk the walk, um, I can talk the talk. I don't know much about anything else. I know, I know sports supplementation, I know raw materials, I know formulations. Um, I know amino acids in particular. So, you know, nothing's really changed with the philosophy of the business. The difference I think with my products is that, that I own the company, I develop the products. Um, uh, I still work hard. Unfortunately, when you're building high quality products, and really that comes down to not so much the formulation. Yes, the formulation's important, but it's the quality of the raw materials. Correct. What I mean That's by that, yeah, what I mean by that, with, with amino acids, there's some amino acids, create monohydrate. I mean, to, to, to source the Crea Pure creatine from Germany, it is three times the price of a standard create monohydrate that comes into Australia from the big chemical importers from China. So the cheaper 
Chinese manufactured Korean, and not everything out of China is bad. Don't don't get me wrong. Mm. Not everything's out out of China is bad. Like that, they will use Japanese technology in certain facilities oh, yeah. in China. But you'll pay a mass produced. Yeah, you'll pay a premium for it, mm. but not as much as you'd pay from Japan. But you'll pay a premium for that, as opposed to an amino acid um, that's been manufactured with less filtration. So it basically comes down to the impurity levels. So a lower quality creatine or amino acid product, raw material, will really come down to the level of, of impurities in that ingredient. So the more filtration, the more processing, the lower the impurities, the higher the price. That's really what it comes down to. So I'll source the best that I can. So even my contract manufacturer here, I don't use all of their stock. Um, amino acids. I source my own aminos. Uh, many of the amino acids I source, the ones I wasn't happy with the quality of the stock material. Um, the Crea Pure Creatine, um, I insist on, on New Zealand protein only. So due to all of these factors, I know I'm getting the best quality products. Mm. I can stand behind my products. I can use them with complete faith. And if I can use them with complete faith, I can talk to you about them with complete faith. I get, it's funny, I get a bit bored of it. I, I feel like I sound like a salesman and a broken record, but it's simply that I still want to use the best quality supplements, food, water, air. I want the best quality. Mm. I want to put the best quality in my body for optimal health, performance, recovery. It all helps with body recomposition if you're doing all the other things correctly. So that's our point of difference. And, and I, I don't do it for a point of difference. I don't do it for a marketing story because it's, um, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it's evolved. And it is a point of difference, I think. Uh, and that's why I work so much because when you do manufacture high quality products in Australia, they're very expensive. My margins are not fantastic compared to some of the big commercial offshore brands. And, and it's really challenging competing on price point with a lot of the imported big commercial branded products. It's challenging. So I work my butt off still. I keep my overheads low from that perspective. I run my business on a shoestring, um, even as far as the marketing. We don't spend a lot on marketing. I spend a lot on the raw materials and a lot on the products and a little on marketing, as opposed to a standard product in most other industries. I'm not saying the supplement industry, but you'll get something like a, one of the top branded um, fizzy drinks and, and they'll spend that much on the marketing and that much on the product. So we're the other way. We spend that much on the product and that much on the marketing and the reps and the overheads and the wages. And so I work my butt off still, which is good for me. It's good for my kids to see it. It's good for me to keep me on the straight and narrow and be efficient and uh, it's good. It's good for me. It's not a bad model. Agreed. Quality mm. over quantity. I Definitely. Love a man who uh, leads by example. You have I to think, be. I think that's really important. Yes. Um, and again, it's quite rare. It is quite rare. I think there's a lot of people who uh, shortchange quality for quantity, but usually because they can make a dollar. Yes. You know, so at some point, the carrot gets bigger, the ethics go out the window, and people kind of, you know, quote unquote, sell out. Sell out, like. yeah. So it is, I respect that, Nick, and it's really lovely to see someone who's still passionate and stands behind their Thank brand. You. You know, in terms of you're right there on the front, you'll back it up, but you know you can back it up because mm. it is quality. And I think that's important and that is integral and that is what will generally help you stand the test of time. Yes. Because you will get that support from, again, not only local, you know, business owners, people respect that something made in Australia, but the people who are really into the quality. Mm. And I think there's a bit of a shift. I personally believe yes. there's a bit of a shift now. Yes. Social media, instant gratification, everything like that. People are starting to wake up to a lot of these sort of, you know, 
flash-in-the-pan companies, and yes. people are sort of going, hang on a minute, this is not worth it. Sometimes it's better to pay more or invest more and get something far higher quality, far more premium, because yes. at the end of the day, you know. It's better value at the end of the day as well. well. It's better value, but also, like you said before, you, you can be here for a good time and a long time. Mm. I remember when I used to um, study, you know, there's a saying going around, people said, you know, I'm, I'm here for a, a good time and a long Little, time, and yeah. I always used to you say- say that when you're young. Yeah, but, but I always used to stand there as a, sort of a bit of an outlier and go, well, no, I want to be here for both. And people would like, you can't, you know, you can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And I'm like, well, yeah, you can. You can, And yeah, I think, yeah. you know, that is true of it. Yes. Um, so thank you for sharing a little bit of a background there, Nick. It's good to get an insight. I think it's great for listeners and people to understand again the product the people behind the product where it stems from yes it's impactful it gives people purpose when they they're going out and they're actually choosing a product this is why why do you choose a product you know why would you choose x over y when you go out why do you choose hind source over what is you know what is the there's all there's always something behind it it could be yes. even down to color but if you understand what goes into a product yes um like we were talking about picks peanut butter off camera like, yes you know you want to support that yes and you don't mind paying a little bit more to get a lot more I'm like that. I believe. I'm like that. And, and like you say, there's this, may, there may be a shift, there may not be a shift, but, but um, even if there's not, there's always a certain percentage of people that are after quality and that are after results. It's niche. Yeah, it's, yeah. No, uh, after results. Not a generalist. Yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, and there's plenty of generalists out there, you know, and I think, I think with business in general these days, it's pretty, it's been tough in Australia the last 12 months, two years in every industry. And I spoke to a gentleman the other day that's been in business for, for some 40 years, and he was more so in restaurants and cafes in the food industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some big name businesses are, are falling over. And um, I said, why, why is that? Do you think, is it true that people are spending less? He said, yeah, potentially the election and everything had an impact. But he goes, I think the main thing is there's too much of the same offering. And I thought, yeah, that's very insightful. And you got, I, and, and I said, I thought about um, King Street in, uh, in Sydney, in Newtown, I thought, wow, every second restaurant is a Thai restaurant. How are they all surviving? How are they all surviving? You know, and again, there's probably 20% of those that are busy and the other 80% are not. So I just think, yeah, it's, it's because of the same offering, same offering, same offering, cafes. You know, there's 10 in the one street, 20% of them be doing well, you know? Yeah, but the other 80%, percentage? yeah. The others have got the same offering, same offering, same offering, yeah. same offering. You've got to have that uh, USP, I think I call it, unique selling point. Or you've got to have something that's different. Like what do, what is it about your product, about your service, which will help people come back? You can find that. Mm. And usually it stems from something that your competitor can't replicate. Yes. And you will be victorious. Unfair advantage. Nick. Let's move into now some more lighthearted questions. Yes. I, 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 again, as I've alluded to, I think a part two is going to be great. We can delve into some more sure. key topics and more of those interesting chapters because I think, you know, you've got a lot of learnings to share. There's a lot of wisdom there. You know, there's a lot of great metaphors that you use into stories which help people kind of ascertain the teachings and mm. learnings, which I always think is great. Um, and that helps people sort of grasp onto those concepts and apply them in their own life. Yes. But in the meantime, rapid fire questions. Yes. Really simple, bit of fun. Okay. As honest as you can. So the first one is nice and simple. It's always a good one. If you could choose a superpower, what would it be and why? 
This is a rapid fire question. Yeah. First thing I thought about was throwing balls of light, throwing balls of energy. Dragon ballsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad one. Don't get started on, on the protein balls, mate, please. Don't start on those. Oui. But, but uh, I do this martial art arakan and, and it's, it's almost like you're throwing balls of light and, and it's such, a, such an intense energy. So if these balls of light could be love or it could be strength to ward off the enemy. To ward off the darkness, throwing balls of light. I like it. Throwing balls of light. Okay, let's go with that. Balls of intense, the, intense balls of light. Let's with the ball thing. Okay. That's a side note and an evolution to something. If you guys keep your eyes peeled, that yes, we've been working on. Yeah, um, yeah. Check out the well, recipe section of Nutrition Warehouse, and you'll you'll uh, you'll get it. It's all good fun. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, second one is your favorite food, favorite meal. If you had one last meal, what would it be? You can choose. Appetizer, dinner, dessert, sweet, savory, drinks, whatever you want. It's just one big meal. It's oh, last meal. What goodness me. It's the last supper. It would, it would have to be a buffet that included all of my favorite foods. Which what I'm, a, I'm a burger fan, as, as unrefined as that is. Oh, I love man. burgers. I absolutely the love burgers. I love grilled burgers. I, I really like grilled. They're grilled. good. They're good. I like grilled. Um, I love a, a restaurant in Chinatown in Sydney called the Golden Century. So every dish that they serve up is melting your mouth. I guess the, 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 the you know, salt and pepper squid? Mm -hmm. You get salt and oh, pepper yes. lobster. Oh. Oh, dude. Right. It's very extravagant. Right. I've, I think I've eaten it three times because it's, it's live seafood. Yeah, they don't. Live, they don't so they, they catch it. They <laughs> catch it. <laughs> Which one do you want? Yeah, I take my kids to this restaurant and, and I get indigestion because I'm up and down taking them back and forth to the fish tanks more than sitting and eating. But, um, <laughs> but I took my wife there on our first date, so it's pretty special for that reason as well, oh, to be nostalgic. honest. Yeah, it is very nostalgic. And uh, yeah, but that salt and pepper lobster, the steamed fish in ginger and shallots, again, they catch it and they bring it to the table flapping in the bag to make sure you're happy with it. You want this one? Yeah. I want that one quick. Make it quick. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Make it quick. Daddy, you have to deal with that. Never mind. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, that's. Play in a minute. <laughs> that, and, and it's not around anymore, but my favorite dessert, it's not around Australia, was Baskin and Robin cookies and cream ice cream. Ooh. That was as good. Ooh. That. That was just, oh, you just wave the white flag and give up when you try Baskin and Robin. Like I like cookies and cream I and I love my coconut casein. It's not just a plug. I love that. That's more like my favorite dessert. But prior to that, Baskin and Robin's cookies and cream for dessert. I've got one for you then. Go on then. If you want, before you go back, uh, the, the Danish ice cream. Okay. Here, Copenhagen. Anderson's, Copenhagen, yeah, Copenhagen's they, good. They do it's a good. midnight cookies and cream. Oh, do they do? Midnight they never cookies and cream. So it's cookies and cream on but steroids. It's dark. Like, but it's, dark, dark. it's got like dark chocolate dark. in it. Uh, I think uh, from memory, I think they do a combination of uh, a white milk and dark. But the midnight cookies and cream, Copenhagen, absolutely amazing. Everyone I've recommended to loves cookies and cream. I, I love that. It's it. like, it's just another level. I know Copenhagen. Please try. I wonder if we have, we must have some in Sydney. You I'll might, look it up. I haven't actually seen one, but I'm sure there'll be a few, but it's mm. just really rich. It's like Ben and Jerry's with better quality. Yeah, the Ben and Jerry's is not bad. I find it a bit too sweet. It's just too that Baskin much. and Robin was just, just bang on. You wave, wave the white flag, I'm telling you, surrender. You, you give up. Mm. You give up. <laughs> on to the next one yes. rapid fire. Rapid fire. I'll throw this one at you because I know you're a bit more spiritual, holistic. Mm -hmm. You've got another layer. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's 
life after death? Do you think there's anything else? Oh, God, yeah, how, deep, how deep do you want me to go? You want my true philosophy on this? Your true self, your higher self, your real self is eternal, immortal, universal, and infinite. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So That wasn't even pre-scripted. No. So uh, it's, an, it's an affirmation I use uh, I like sometimes it. to give me perspective. So um, I think, yeah, the body dies. Um, certainly the body dies. And, and there's always going to be a lot of mourning for the loved ones that are left behind. But your true self, your spirit, your true self, your higher self, uh, uh, it's, it's eternal. It's immortal, universal, and it's infinite. And that's our true self. And it's, um, do we ever in this lifetime tear the ego away to get to that and sit in bliss with that and listen to that and be fueled by that, our, our true self? I think that's probably heaven on earth if we're able to, to sit in that space. I'm not sure if you can do it in, in the... And ultimately as well, after doing a lot of um, transcendental meditation and using theta metronomes and doing all this crazy stuff many, many years ago, we, we're here in this lifetime, this is the physical plane. We're here for a physical experience. I believe we are spiritual beings having a physical experience, not the other way around. We are spiritual beings, that's what we are, having a physical experience. So get in the arena, be physical. It's a physical experience and, and feel the emotion. Don't completely detach all the time. Live, laugh, cry, love, cuddle, you know, do it all. Embrace it all. Embrace it all. This is a, this is a physical experience. So get in the arena, do it. Very eloquently put. Very good, Nick. And on to my final question. Yes. As always. And this can be related to anything we've talked about today. It might be something else that you derive out of this question. But can yes. you share with us and identify a fear that you've had in your life? Mm -hmm. it a major, might have been a minor fear. What you did to overcome it and what you learned from that experience. Wow, um, I, I still have fears, daily daily fears. Um, what's a, a major fear, a major one, and how did I overcome it? It might be, it, when I say major, it doesn't have to be large, it might be just a pivotal bookmark that you always go back to and go, that was a turning point, or that really always sticks with me. And it could have been something as small as falling off your bike, but it taught you something greater. It could have mm. been I made a wrong purchase. It could have been, you know, meeting your wife and how that came about and, oh. and just having the courage to maybe approach or whatever it might be. I'm just throwing out ideas, but wow. it doesn't have to be something catastrophic because a well, lot that of the resonated. Time it's a small thing. Yeah, that resonated. To be honest, when I met my wife, um, when I met Angela, it's a funny story. I'll give you the story, but this is this was a, the fear of mine was when I realized that, that she could potentially be the one. It scared the shit out of me, to be honest. It really scared the shit out of me. Uh, and I think because I'd come from a broken home and uh, I hadn't given up on marriage, but it wasn't, I certainly wasn't chasing it. I was putting out there, I was putting out for a uh, loving, supportive partner. That's what I was putting out. That's what I was asking the universe for when I met her. And, and um, it's funny, I was asking her for that, but, but I, you know, I was very indifferent to it and very happy in my own skin and living on the beach at Glenelg in Adelaide and riding my Harley on the weekend and doing my bodybuilding training during the week and working six to eight hours a day and had a good old time, a great life, you know? Yeah. I was very, very happy. Painting, playing guitar, med meditating most mornings before I'd walk on the beach 
see dolphins and have a coffee and chat to the barista and then start my day. And I was, I was in a, a, a I was in a really good routine, a good space, and very happy. Um, so it wasn't like I was yearning or longing for stuff. someone to make me complete. Not I think at that, all. That's important. Yeah, yeah I guess just, it's, just for people listening. I, I, I yes. personally believe as a younger folk, yes. listening to people more experienced. Because I, I always ask people, you know, when did you meet? How did you meet? If they don't mind, like, what's the story? What conditions? How mm. do you know? It's interesting because that that there is important because I think a lot of people are looking for someone to complete them. Yeah, and that is no that's a thing. slippery slope. Yes. That's an issue in itself. If you're looking for someone to fix you, complete you, make mm. you whole, like I think that's very misconstrued. Mm. Um, again, this is just my opinion. I believe that the your significant other, your soulmate, your partner should complement. Yes. And of course, if you have been with them for ten or twenty years and you lose them, you can't just go, "Oh, well, that was it." Like they have been part of your life. It's going to yes. affect you emotionally, physically, spiritually. But Going back to what you were saying, Nick, sorry to interrupt, but no, I just right. think it's really important to that point there. You mm. were in a really good place. Yeah, I felt very life. complete. Yeah. Felt complete, very whole. Yeah. Um, again, in a bit of denial, probably in some areas, you know, because we've always got a lot of growth to do. And uh, I think your partner doesn't complete you, but your partner may have other attributes that are more developed that you don't, you learn from them and vice versa. You've obviously got something to offer them yeah. and support them and teach them. Um, so ultimately, you know, to become complete, but um, I think that just happens. I think that just happens. Um, so yeah, that's what scared me was I really, I think, I think when I realized Angela could really be the one, you know, I, I, I fell in love with her. Um, she embodied a, a lot of, she had all these attributes that I really admired and respected, uh, and and we did. We became we became great friends before we before we got together. So um, that scared the shit out of me. How did I overcome it? Uh, again, you you sort of finally come to that point where you make the decision to just have a shot at it. Um, you know, she, she lived in Sydney. I lived in Adelaide. We moved to the Gold Coast for twelve months to see if the relationship would work, and it was hard, dude. It was it was hard. She comes from a very different background to me. So again, it was like two backgrounds trying to get along. And the backgrounds kind of couldn't really get along. They couldn't, they were so different. But we needed to understand each other's background and that took quite a bit of time. But, you know, I loved her and age-wise it could work. And, 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 and these strengths that she had, I could see myself with her long-term based on her qualities, her values. Yeah, it wasn't um, physical, it was the ethics and values. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And that scared the shit out of me. That did scare the shit out of me. And um, when she fell pregnant with our first daughter, Electra. Oh, it's a good name. Yeah, 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 Electra. Yeah, yeah, my kids are too. They're, um, well, it's again, the Greek god, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, the Greek goddess, the Greek goddess. Round up all about those Greek goddesses. Yes, yeah, and, and yeah, my other one, Mariah Zena. She was going to get Zena as a first name, and I said, "Hun, it's a bit too full on." But I wish I called her Zena because she's a Zena, I my middle that. one. I love she is Zena. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Apology. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. My little boy, Alexander. He's Xander for short, but Alexander. So, um, yeah, that that those things scared me, and I, I think, um, how did I overcome them? Again, I just went for it, you know? I just went for it. It's like, if it's gonna work, it's gonna work. I'll give it my best shot. And again, it's been hard, mate, to, to, like I said earlier when we were talking, you need to put time in still to your marriage, to your relationship. And it is hard. 
it is hard in the current day and the pressures of the current day. Uh, I started reading a book on, on fatherhood on, on the plane on the way up here yesterday, and it was brilliant. There's, there's um, lots of little excerpts from, uh, from different celebrities, some professors that have studied the area of fatherhood. Um, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg, Tim Cale's in there, uh, David Beckham. There's a bunch from in there and it's... Um, yeah, but, but a dad's role is so much more hands-on these days. So much more hands-on. As well as being the breadwinner, we need to be so much more hands-on. And you've got to stop and pinch yourself and go, hang on, this is a privilege. This is a privilege because I would say our grandfathers, didn't know my grandfather, but had he been pushing a pram of his child around the streets of London, he probably would have got ridiculed to see a man pushing a pram or changing a nappy. Oh, yeah. So he probably got bullied out of changing nappy. We don't really enjoy changing nappies, but the percentage, it was something like the percentage of men who hadn't changed a nappy, I think it was in 1960, of fathers who had never changed a nappy, it was 43% back in 1960. That's an interesting statistic. Two years ago, 3% of men. 3% of fathers had not changed a nappy. Just goes to show how much more hands-on fathers are these days. So there's a lot more pressure to play all of these roles these days. It's really challenging. And for the mums, I don't know, it just seems like the stakes are higher these days. The kids do so many more activities than what we did when we were kids. I didn't do yeah. dance like my children and play piano and go to athletics group and gymnastics and swimming and... You always want to do more. You want to do better for your kids, don't you? you? Yeah, you know, that's you just... A, sort of give them that that's right. More. Yeah, we all do. We all do. So we put more and more pressure on ourselves and it's getting more expensive to live these days, particularly in Sydney, and it's getting more competitive in business. So um, yeah, I think the pressure these days are higher than ever. So it puts a lot of strain on a relationship. It puts a lot of strain on a husband and wife, and it's challenging. So, you know, if, if there's anyone out there that thinks that I've got it together because they see the picture of me and my beautiful wife and family on social media, it's, it's a challenge, and it takes work. Um, and that's the thing, it's, 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 these things are a privilege. They're a privilege to be worked at, but you gotta work at them. It takes work and it takes effort. And a lot of the time, guys, the last thing you wanna do at 10 o'clock at night when you've come home from work, you've helped feed the kids and put them to bed and, and you've got up and you've helped tidy the house and you might have done a couple of emails and you're absolutely exhausted and your wife wants to talk. And my wife's a bit of a night owl. She wants to talk at that time of the night. You think I can sit there zoning out watching some YouTube and ignoring her? That'd be divorce papers in 12 or 18 months for any woman. They need to feel appreciated. They need to feel significant. They need to feel significant, significant as we do. We need to feel significant. They need to feel significant, particularly by their, their, their husband or wife, their partner, you know? Goes into like the love languages, which I'm really passionate about. Love. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah you'll teach me stuff on that. I can only teach through experience. I can only give uh, knowledge. I can only give experience. That's all I can give. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great book. It's called The Five Love Languages. The we, we all are aware of them, but uh, again, as we've talked about once they're given context and explained with stories and real life anecdotal yes. like evidence yes. of real people, you just start to click and all of a sudden relationships improve. Because everyone has a di two primary love languages, like your kids will have different love languages, your wife will have different love languages to yourself. If you understand the true primary roles, then you can completely connect and speak 100% the same language. 
So even people who have got great relationships, they can strengthen them even more because they can tap in to exactly, and it sounds to me, based on what you just said, your wife's primary love language is quality time. Mm. And that's undivided attention, face-to-face, no distraction. She needs that. If you don't give her that, no, she's not. Her love tank. Which is no different to any woman on the planet, is it not? Well, uh, it's, well all, all people, we all have the love languages, but there's primary, so there's... Uh, Quality time, yes. physical touch, yes. words of affirmation, there's receiving gifts, and there's acts of service. Right. So even though I know we, like, off. we like all of those things, mm. yeah, and you will identify it straight away. Straight away. And then there's when you've got the ones. context in there, you'll go, but it just gives you another level of understanding. Mm. Like What's we the name of this book? Five Love Languages. Five Love Languages. It's brilliant. And for anyone get it, guys. There, yeah, get it. Every, Five, I'm going to get it. Five Love one, Languages. Every, everyone should read. This is one of the books I recommend. It's a top three book. Read it. Uh, it was referred to me by a friend who sort of unfortunately fell in love with a lady and thought it was the love of his life. And then years later, she sort of just backed out of it and he was just in a world that hurt. And Anyway, he referred this book on to me and he said, it's just good for anybody to read. Mm. Um, and it is, and there's different versions of it now for singles, for couples, etc. Right. And it's phenomenal. Mm. Uh, I took so much out of it. Uh, I think when everyone listens to it, you'll be, you'll be thinking, ah, oh, You'll be thinking about relationships you've had with people and you'll go, yeah, yeah. And you'll think about other people too and you, other people you know and you'll go, ah, oh, that. And it just all of a sudden becomes even more obvious. And yes. even though you're already, we're all aware of this, people go, oh, it's simple. No, 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 read it. It'll put it in context. Context is key. Yes. It reframes it. Yes. But anyway, to digress, Nick, thank you for sharing. I think that's a beautiful way to sum up what's been an insightful conversation. And mm. um, thank you for your time again. Pleasure. Before we go. Um, where can the people, the lovely people listening, find about uh, more about yourself? Where can they follow you if they want to learn more about what you do with Gentech and sure. yourself and your personal endeavors? I know you're a fairly you know, private guy as well, but obviously you've got that business side too. Yes. Um, where's the best places to, to keep up to date? The best place. I'm a little bit slack on social media, but uh, my Instagram's Nick Jones World Champion is my Instagram. And of course, there's the Gentech uh, social media and YouTube. So we do a lot of videos on YouTube, so you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot there uh, on the Gentech YouTube channel. There's a lot of content there. Mm. No, that's, so, that's fantastic, Nick. And look, as always, guys, I will be putting all of these links in the description below and in the show notes. So guys, please do follow those links. Follow along with the journey. You've heard it here first. And as always, until the next time, stay fearless, Nick. Thank you once again. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure. Likewise. Thanks. All the best, my friend. And I'm sure we'll be doing a round two. Yes, great. Guys, stay fearless. See you guys.